Hi, I'm Billy Glosson, lead pastor of Coram Deo Church in Morganton, North Carolina, and you're listening to the Coram Deo Podcast, a place to engage with sermons, devotionals, prayer, and everything else we're doing at Coram Deo. Thanks for listening. Abel, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be reading from first chapter in Luke, verses 46 to 55. 55, yep. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on my humble estate, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. He has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. All right. At this time, I'll ask Pilly to come up and we'll pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the beginning of the Advent season. Lord, we just pray in this time that you would speak to our hearts, um, use the, the words and the um, preparation that Billy has gone through and as you've spoken to him. Lord, let us be receptive, open our hearts and minds to what you'd have us to receive today. And Lord, we just pray that um, we'd continue to focus on you and, and just draw closer to you in this Advent season as we celebrate Christmas. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, first and foremost, Merry Christmas. Thanks for the four of you who are as excited as me. Um, so we are, are a family that's hyped about Christmas. And, and really, here at Coram Deo, we want to celebrate and rejoice in that. And so we have a couple of gifts for you this morning. So in the foyer, as you head out, you're going to see two resources. Um, for those of you with children and little ones, we have a book, and it's going to seem corny and cheesy, but I promise it's amazing. It's called When Santa Learned the Gospel. Um, and regardless of how you and your family may feel about Santa Claus, it is a beautiful, beautiful uh, reminder of what the gospel hope is and the joy in it. And then also for those of you uh, families of individuals or those um, who do not have children, we have an amazing book called The Four Emotions of Christmas. And it deals with uh, every kind of the full gamut, everything from sadness to joy and just the reality of how sometimes Christmas can hit us. And so I will throw these down here so I don't end up having a huge mess. So I love, love, love Christmas. I do. Um, we own most of our DVD collection is Christmas movies. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. That's facts. We love Christmas in the Glosson household. And in fact, when I, used, when I was working retail in college, I actually loved when the Christmas music came on. And here's why. People will say, oh, it's terrible when it comes on in, you know, November 1st and, and we have to deal with it. But you got to remember, I was working at Walmart, and Walmart has the same playlist on a loop, and you can only hear Live Like You Were Dying by Tim McGraw about like five times before you go insane. So for me, just to suddenly be hearing songs about Jesus and the incarnation, it was a relief. Now, I've always loved Christmas music, but I have a confession, and it's this. You often sound better in your head than you do 
uh, in real life. You know what I'm talking about? Is that just me, right? When you're in the shower, you're like, you know, I could do this. Like, I think people, I think people would be impressed, right? That's, that's what I thought. And uh, I was in a Christmas program as a kid, and I got a solo in it. Now, I didn't know that the reason I got a solo was because I was five and I sounded ridiculous and it was cute. I thought I was amazing, incredible. Now, fast forward, we're in high school and my brother Daniel starts making fun of me. He's like, hey, you remember when you sang that Mariah Carey song? Which, first of all, why are we doing that? It doesn't matter. The point is the song was uh, Jesus, What a Wonderful Child, right? And uh, I was like, what are you talking about? I was amazing. Like, it w- I was a show stopper. He's like, let's, let's go to the tape. Sure enough, here's little Billy, and I'm doing this, and I'm going, Jesus, oh, what a wonderful child. Like, that's through my nose, all of it, every bit of it. And it sounded so bad. And then it wasn't just that. We also had video of the family at Christmas time, on Christmas morning, giving a karaoke machine and saying, Billy, why don't you sing the solo for all of us? It was embarrassing, right? <laughs> embarrassing. And to this day, my brother will still sing like that to me. Um, You only get that imitation once, okay? So don't ask for it again. All right, we move into the season of Advent. And as you notice this morning, we're going to be singing songs about Christmas, right? We're going to be celebrating and singing, and we are actually going to be looking at Christmas songs over the next few weeks, We've titled this series, A Christmas Playlist. It's inspired by this little book that Alistair Begg wrote that that walks through four different songs in the Gospel of Luke. It focuses on these extraordinary moments of praise that echo the essence of the Christmas season. And so these are songs that are heard before, during, and after the miraculous birth of Jesus. And so really, What we want to do is we want to see how these songs offer us a window into the hope, into the joy and the promise that surround this glorious event. So every week, we're going to explore one of these melodies, and we're going to discover how these ancient songs resonate with our modern lives. And so here's my challenge this morning. As we come to this first track in the playlist— You're going to feel familiar with it, right? It's going to seem like something that you know and that you've heard before, but I want you to have an open mind and an open heart to the message that these songs carry and and allow their timeless truths to stir, to transform you this Christmas season. Because today we start with Mary's song, the Magnificat. So think about this. Everybody has their own picture of who God is, right? You've thought about what God is like, who he is. Maybe to you, God is a distant concept. Maybe he's a cosmic force, right? That's what some people feel. Or or so others may say, no, 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 God's this ever-loving presence. Or on the flip side, maybe he's a stern judge. Your image of God could be a blend of your family traditions, Maybe it's a gut feeling. Maybe it's something you've read in a book or or some philosopher's musings. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because some of us will spend hours, days, even years grappling with the idea of God, his existence, his nature, and then others of us, it's just a fleeting thought. Brushed off amidst the hustle of daily life. But no matter where we stand, we all have some kind of notion about God. So here's the question. How can we be sure that our perception of God is on the mark? 
Now imagine this. What if you had a moment, a real tangible encounter with God that made everything fall into place, made sure that you were certain, no more guessing games about his existence, no more guessing games about his character. See, that would be nothing short of transformative, right? And that, friends, is exactly the kind of experience that sets the stage for most of the nativity plays where you've got Billy dressed up as Joseph singing terribly, right? It's this spark behind the very first song in Luke's narrative of the first Christmas, a song that paints this vivid picture of the true nature of God. It's Mary's song. It's birthed from her unique role in the Christmas story. And this isn't just any song. In fact, we call it Mary's song of praise, but it's not about her at all. It's about God. It's a heartfelt outpouring, this this brimming with emotion song. And today we're going to dive into it. Here's our big idea this morning. It's this, magnify the mighty God who cares for us. Magnify the mighty God who cares for us. Friends, this is more than just a line. It's a revelation of who God is and of what that means for us. So with that in mind, let's go to the song and let's see first, God, friends, is mindful of us. God is mindful of us. Luke chapter one, we'll jump in at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now, as we start into this song, we got to have a little bit of context because there's a lot going on. We have Mary, who's this young woman who's never been with a man. And she gets this wild news from an angel telling her, hey, you're going to have a baby. And not just any baby, but the Messiah. And her response to this news is nothing short of absolutely incredible. Because she says yes to this mind-blowing news without hesitation. And of course, just like any of us would do, Mary goes to confide in someone. She goes to visit Elizabeth, her relative, who's also expecting a miracle baby. So they get together. They're going to have this girls' night. You know, they're going to watch cheesy Hallmark movies. You know, they're going to see, like, is your baby kicking? It's going to be that kind of moment. And the minute she walks in, Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb. And what happens next? Well, Mary bursts into song to this powerful anthem of praise. Now, we have to, again, think about who Mary is up to this point in her life. She's come from a humble background. She's lived a life that's marked by poverty, but it's rich in faith. Life has not been easy, but her unwavering belief that God is good has been her rock. And so when the angel tells her about this extraordinary role that she's going to play in God's plan, she has no idea what lies ahead. Her future is just a big question mark. But when she hears the angel's words, this is what she says. She says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And she steps forward in faith. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary declares, may your word to me be fulfilled. Just imagine that level of trust. Hey, your life's about to be upended. It's gonna get real weird. And no one's gonna believe you. There's gonna be rumors and murmurs about you, right? She faced possible shame, scandal, uncertainty, yet she embraces all of it. 
And why is that? It's because she knows that God is faithful. She had heard the stories of old and she felt them in her bones. She thinks back, if you would see a comparison between this song and another song in scripture, you go all the way back to 1 Samuel and we see the story of Hannah. Hannah longed for a child. God answered that prayer and gave her a son, Samuel. And she rejoiced and worshiped. It's likely that Mary knew that song by heart. And now here she is, chosen by God. And what's her response? Worship. Worship. She magnifies God. Even in the midst of what could be a very scandalous situation. Friends, that's faith. That's trust. That's a heart that's tuned to God's unfailing love. Now here's something that's fascinating about Mary's song. She starts it off on a personal note. She's in awe. She's saying, God has noticed me. Little old me. Think about that for a second. God could have gone anywhere and done anything. He's God. He spoke the cosmos into existence. He could have gone for royalty, right? Someone with power and status who's living it up in a palace. But no, he turned his gaze to Mary. A young girl without any claim to fame, any worldly significance whatsoever. And Mary is struck by the fact that God is mindful of her. What does mindful mean? It's like God is keeping her in his thoughts, holding her in his care. He's remembering her. And Mary is blown away by this. She's saying, God is is, is thinking about me, caring for me. I'm on his mind. And that's why she can't help but sing about God's greatness. It's why her heart is just bursting forth in song with joy in God, her Savior. Now, we we don't want to miss the punchline here. In the world's eyes, Mary is most likely a nobody. But in the eyes of the creator of the world, she's valued. She's important. And that's a game changer. Because it's not about social status. It's not about your qualifications. It's about how the God of the universe sees you knows you, remembers you, and Mary gets this, and it flips her world upside down in the best possible way. But here's where the plot thickens, because Mary's just not like, God, you love me, right? She doesn't stop there. That's like 95% of our worship songs today. God, you love me. It's all about me. No, Mary keeps going, and she shifts her gears from just talking about herself to talking about her people, Israel. It's like she zooms out from her personal story to that big, epic narrative of God's people. She sings, God's not just looking out for me. He's got his eyes on all of us. He's remembering his mercy, just like he promised our ancestors. Now we have to get this straight. Mary's own story is just one part of a massive centuries-old promise that God had made. She is a piece of this giant puzzle. And to get the full picture, we need to hit rewind all the way back to the beginning before Mary's time. In Genesis, we see this beautiful creation. God had established the world, spoken it into existence, created man to know, love, and walk with him. And we chose, God, that's great, but rather than listen to you, I'd rather be you. And we ate of the tree. And there's this moment where God is pronouncing what would happen in the fall, that there would be brokenness the world would not be as it should. But we get sown into this 
what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking about the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means that there is a coming Messiah, the snake crusher. Fast forward and Abraham enters the scene. In Genesis 12, God calls Abraham out and he makes this blockbuster promise. He says, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. And through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And then we fast forward through the Old Testament and we see that this promise is like a repeating chorus. God keeps telling Abraham's descendants, I remember you. I've not forgotten you. I've not forgotten the promises. He sends the prophets to hammer this point home and we get this in Isaiah 9 and we read this every Christmas, but some of us miss the fact that this is hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus is born. Isaiah 9, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. A son is coming. A son is coming who will make all of these promises a reality. God is still mindful of us. So when Mary sings her song, she's not just celebrating this personal blessing. Yes, she does, but she's marking this moment where the ancient grand scale promises of God, it's coming to life in her life. It's like all of history. It's been building up to this point. And she's right in the middle of it. Talk about being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And so Mary, this young, ordinary woman, hits us with something profound. She's saying, God's noticed me. And by noticing me, he's showing what he's, that he's got his eye on all of us. And the promised son is here. All those ancient promises, they're about to come true. This is the kind of God we're talking about, friends. God is not some distant, detached figure. He's deeply involved, personal, right in the thick of humanity. He's all about bringing blessing, hope, and security to all peoples on earth. And the real wow factor of God's greatness, it's not in him being far off, it's in his closeness, his intimacy with us. See, we've got this tendency to think that greatness means isolation, right? You know, the more cash you have, the longer your driveway gets, the bigger the gates and the fences are. You start hiring security the more clout you have, the more you pull away from the everyday crowd. Your people have to get with my people if you want to talk to me. You got to go through all these channels just to even speak to someone. But God flips the script. His greatness is all about how well he knows us, how close he is. He, he knows my name. He knows your name. He's aware of every burden you carry. He's aware of every hidden disappointment, every worry that keeps you up at night. He knows. He's in tune with your dreams, your joys, the, the things that make your heart beat faster. That is our creator. He's mindful. 
He's caring. He's intimately involved in our lives. And that's where our true value lies. Regardless of how the world sees us or treats us, we have a God who knows us. Now, here's the thing. We all have this mental picture of God. A lot of us turn away from believing because the God that we picture is distant. We think of him as uncaring. He's, he's unhelpful, and I get it. And honestly, I wouldn't want to believe in that kind of a God either. But the God of Christmas, the God of history, the Ancient of Days, he's in a different league. This is a God who knows you personally, who cares deeply about you, who makes promises to you, and actually moves to help you. There was a pastor who was visiting an elderly man. He had been bedridden with, with painful rheumatism. His limbs were stiff. Every day, he groaned in agony. This pastor walked into a quiet room, save for the soft ticking of a clock and the occasional rustle of pages as the old man turned his Bible with trembling hands. And the pastor looked at this man's Bible and he saw that each page was telling a story, not just the biblical narrative, but also this personal journey of a believer who had walked with God through highs and lows. And the pastor approached and he noticed something remarkable. In the margins of this well-worn Bible, there was one word written over and over again on the pages, proved. It was like a testament to a life intertwined with the promises of God. So the pastor started speaking with him and he said, can, can, can I look at your Bible for a minute? The man handed it over and the pastor started flipping through the pages. Each proved, marked an encounter, a moment where the promises of scripture were not just words, but they were tangible experiences. Be proved and then underneath it, written a moment. He read where it said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the pastor, as he read that, he wrote next to it, it says, proved you are faithful in my pain. It was more than a note. The old man spoke up and said, it's not just a word, it's a declaration of God's unwavering presence in the midst of my trials. And the pastor kept flipping the pages, finding proved, and he got to John 1.12. It said, proved the day of my new birth. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The old man spoke up and said, it's not just a memory. It's the reality of a promise fulfilled. The pastor sat beside the man and their conversation weaved through the stories of, of faith tested and faith affirmed. Each proved marking a chapter where God's mindfulness was evident. In joy, in pain, in doubt, in uncertainty. This old man's Bible is more than a collection of verses. It was a map of a journey walked with God. Each proved a milestone, a reminder to the pastor and to this man and to all of us that God's promises stand the test of time. God's promises stand the test of experience. In every believer's life, there are or there can be countless proved moments testifying to a God who's not distant but intimately involved in the intricate details of our lives. That's the God we're talking about at Christmas. See, God's not aloof. He's attentive. That's the beauty of the Christmas story. It's that God knows us. 
He's mindful of us. Psalm 8, a declaration of praise. This is what we read. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man? that You are mindful of him. And the son of man that you care for him. This is the staggering reality that we just can't go past and move on with our lives. Listen, the creator of everything, the architect of galaxies, pays attention to you personally. It's not just this broad sweeping glance. No, God cares for you specifically. His care is intricate, intimate, and it's incredibly specific. And it tells us something profound about our God. He's not a distant deity. He's deeply invested in our lives. Every worry, every joy, every hope, every dream that you have is on his radar. So what do we do with this? Well, we do quickly three things. First, embrace your God-given worth. Embrace your God-given worth. Too many of us are trying to build up on self-esteem, and we need to see what God has given us, God-given esteem. See, in moments of doubt or when you feel lost in their crowd, remember this. Your worth is not anchored in worldly achievements or others' opinions. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress because your worth is rooted in the reality that you are seen and valued by the creator himself. You're not just another part of creation. You are a deliberate and cherished work of the creator, proved in every drop of blood that fell from Calvary. Second, lean into his sovereignty. Lean into his sovereignty. When life throws curveballs, we just went through Ecclesiastes, we learn there's a lot of curveballs, right? We found one this week as our son shoved sticks into our drain and we had stuff coming up from our tub. Not good, right? Life throws curveballs and it's easy to feel like you're going through it alone. But when we acknowledge that God is mindful, it means we trust in his overarching sovereignty. He's not oblivious to your struggles. No, God's actively weaving them together into a greater narrative, a better story, one that we may not fully understand, but one that we can trust is for our ultimate good and his glory. And then third, seek his purpose for your life. Seek his purpose for your life. The specific care God has for you implies a specific calling and purpose. Here's the deal. It might not align with your initial plans. It might not, but it's a journey designed by the one who knows you better than you know yourself. In this light, every single decision, every step becomes an act of faith, trusting that God's unique plan for us is unfolding. So take this to heart, friend. You are not just a random stroke on the canvas of creation. You are intentionally designed and lovingly crafted by God. In a culture that often measures value by external success, our true value lies in being intimately known and loved by God. And this knowledge is not just a source of comfort, it's a call to a vibrant, purposeful life. Every day is an opportunity to live in alignment with the design that God has for you. So embrace this journey with confidence that someone cares for you deeply and has meticulously planned for your life. And that someone is the creator of everyone and everything. Mary moves from how intimately God cares for each of us, and then she turns her attention to the one 
who cares for us to the awe-inspiring truth of his unparalleled might. And let's, so, let's see second and last, God is mightier than us. God is mightier than us. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thought of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary's song echoes with the theme of God's mighty power, but it's not just about raw strength. No, she, she's revealing, yes, God's a mighty warrior, but his battle is against human pride and self-reliance. So let's unpack this a bit. God scatters the proud in their inmost thoughts. That's what Mary says. It's a vivid image of how God disrupts those who are perched on the heights of self-importance, of look at me. It's not just about bringing down the haughty. It's God's intervention to remind us that our achievements are not solely our doing. Sometimes the struggles that we face, those things that we might attribute to just bad luck or it's just the way the world is, those are actually God's mighty hand at work, realigning our perspective. Mary sings of God bringing down rulers from their thrones, and throughout history, we see this pattern repeated. The mightiest empires eventually crumble. It's a powerful reminder that earthly authority and power are fleeting, and that true sovereignty rests with God, but it doesn't stop there. Mary also talks about God sending the rich away empty while filling the hungry with good things. It's this reversal of fortunes. I mean, usually we see the rich filled, and those who are uh, poor are those who are lacking. But it's a profound truth about the emptiness that can come from looking to things to satisfy us outside of God. Right? Wealth does not fill this void. Right? Material possessions don't fill the void. Even if you are wealthy, you might recognize this emptiness. It's a testament to the fact that, again, money can't buy happiness. It can't help us escape the reality of our mortality. And you might be thinking, okay, this is a pretty stark contrast here. God's mindful of me. God crushes his enemies. You're like, wait a second, whoa, what's happening here? You see, it's precisely because God cares for us that he exercises his might in this way. God's actions, they're not vindictive. They're purposeful. See, God shakes the foundation of self-sufficiency and pride. And he does this to bring us back to a place of reliance on him. We live in a time and an age where it's very easy to not have to depend on anyone. We can get anything we want whenever we want. We don't even have to talk to the person at the register anymore. We can just order it ahead of time, discreetly go in, grab our coffee, and walk out. Right? We don't have to do anything. We can do it on our own. In times of comfort and success, it's all too easy to think that we have outgrown the need for God. It's easy to believe that we're self-made and that we are invincible. But it's in these moments that we have to remember this. Just like the author of Ecclesiastes says, we are mortal. <laughs> we will die. And we remember the eternal nature of God. And Mary's song, it challenges us to recognize our limitations. To remember the God who is truly mightier than us. In a world that equates power with success and wealth, Mary's song invites us to a deeper understanding of strength, one that is found in recognizing our dependence 
on the Almighty, the God who cares deeply and acts mightily. Little experiment for you. The next time you're at the zoo, take a look around and notice where the crowds gather, where the buzz is the loudest. You see, we often breeze right past the deer and the antelope. You know, we'll see them. Oh, look how cute. Look at it run. If there's kids in tow, maybe we stop for a chuckle at the playful sills or we look at the monkeys running around. But then you see there's this magnetic pull towards the big guys, right? The lions, the tigers, the elephants, the gorillas. Have you ever thought about why? Well, here's a thought. Deep down, we're drawn to what is bigger, what is stronger, and what is more awe-inspiring than us. It's like this reality check, but in a good way. We're standing there and we're dwarfed by these majestic creatures and we get this humbling yet weirdly comforting reminder that we are not the end-all be-all of existence. That there's something greater, there's something more powerful than us. It's this craving for all, this hunger for a brush with something grand and magnificent that drives us. It's a, it's a soul thing. It's a deep down itch for a glimpse of our true place in the grand scheme of life. And if we can't scratch that itch in church, believe me, we will go hunting for it elsewhere. Because one way or another, we are wired to seek out those moments that take away our breath. To remind us that we're part of something bigger than our day-to-day grind. And this is where the might of God comes into play. He scatters the proud, not as an act of wrath, but as a means of grace as an invitation to engage with him in this life. So let me just pause and turn the lens on you. Reflect on your own life for a moment. Can you see how God might be doing this even now? Showing you that you can't depend on yourself, that you need to look to something greater than yourself. How will you respond to it? Friends, it's crucial to understand that God does not conform to our preferences or priorities. And that is actually good news because God is far greater, far mightier, and more real than our limited expectations. God scatters the proud for a purpose, to bring them to a place of humility from where he can lift them up. It's about getting to that point where we admit, I don't have it all figured out. (laughs) I don't have all the answers. I'm facing struggles that I can't handle alone. And this is where God steps in, filling the hungry with good things. Once you realize that you're yearning for something beyond what this world can offer, that, friends, is when you're truly ready to receive the fullness that God provides. So when you think about God, what comes to mind? Mary would probably say, God is mindful of us and mightier than us. And it's this combination of his all-encompassing care and his overwhelming power that made her heart burst with joy and song. It's a timeless truth. It's one that continues to stir joy even in hearts today. So as we come to a close this morning, I want you to soak in these powerful words. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. It's clear. God is on the lookout for those who are hungry. Those who are hungry for him. He bypasses those who think they've got it all figured out. Do you remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
for they shall be satisfied. And friends, that's real satisfaction, not a fleeting feeling. See, God often flips our expectations upside down. Corinthians tells us that he chooses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to shame, to shame the strong. It's like saying, your emptiness, that's exactly where I can work my wonders. See, the church is not a club for the self-sufficient. It's a home for the hungry, the hurting, the not enoughs. When David was on the run, you know who rallied around him? Scripture tells us it was the distressed, the debt-ridden, the broken in spirit. Those are the folks that God is searching for. Because God's got a heart for those who feel overlooked, who feel sidelined. God pledges himself to those who know that they're lacking. Those who feel like they're the last pick in the world's game. He shows mercy to the undeserving. He elevates the humble over the high and the mighty and he finds the hungry and he fills them up. God sides with those who can't fend for themselves. And our pride, our wealth, our power, they're just smoke and mirrors making us feel self-reliant. But the truth is we are all broken and we are all desperately in need. And Mary's got it. Her song captures this beautifully. She ends her song acknowledging how the ancient promise to Abraham, it's being fulfilled right there in her womb. That the snake crusher has come to the world. And we, left to our own devices, we are on a path to ruin. But Jesus came and showed us what true humanity looked like. Jesus, what does he do? He spends time with the needy. He heals the sick. He kicked out demons and he announced a new kingdom. And then... In the ultimate act of love, he takes our brokenness, our failures, and nails them to the cross of Calvary. And when he rose again, he showed that once and for all, our sinful state has been dealt with, our eternity purchased and secured. How amazing is that? Emmanuel, friends, has come, and he's liberated us. And here's the beauty of Advent. We don't just look back, we look forward because he's coming again. So as we go from here this morning, let's carry this awe-inspiring truth in our hearts that the God who fills the hungry, the God that sides with the needy, he's made a home in us. Would we magnify the mighty God who cares for us? Four questions for us as we come to a close. First, how have I experienced God being mindful of me in my personal life? Can I identify moments where his mindfulness has been evident? Second, can I see examples in my life where God used my weakness for his purpose? Third, am I able to acknowledge my own brokenness and need for God? In what ways am I hungry for what God alone can provide? And then fourth, how does the anticipation of Christ's return shape my daily actions and decisions? What changes might I need to make to align my life more closely with this hope? We'll put all four on the screen for you. Let's pray together. Holy God, we are grateful that you love us, you have pursued us, that you care for us, that you know us intimately. Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts up with the knowledge that you are mindful of us and that you would break the tyranny of self-dependence. 
Lord, that we would understand that we can be dependent on the one who knows us and cares for us. Lord, would the gospel truth resonate deep in our souls that you have brought us to new, to new life, an abundant life. We pray all this with confidence, with joy. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Quorum Deo podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our website, quorumdeonc.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram for a bigger picture inside the life of the church. Grace and peace be with you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ.